I think it comes down to you're okay when you get beat. And obviously in the end, you want to win more than you lose. But uh, you play 162 games, you're not going to win them all. So when they're occurring because someone else executed better than you did, um, it's a little bit painful when you're the team that did everything from an execution standpoint but just came out on the losing side. You can stomach it a little bit more. So attention to detail, preparation, and making sure that we're ready um, and we feel pretty good about our outcomes being at the top if we do that. Yeah, you're not going to win 162 with that attitude. All right, it's fan drive time. Sports 59 of the fan. I am Ben Ennis, and that was Toronto Blue Jays general manager Ross Atkins on opening day eve. By this time, tomorrow we'll be in what, like the ninth inning? An hour into the game? Thinking around that? Uh, Four o'clock, first pitch-ish. On uh, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, the fans. So tomorrow we're on 2 to 4. But the GM speaking today in St. Louis. I've seen it. The Blue Jays are there at a major league ballpark getting set to uh, start their quest to win an American League East crown. And then after that, a World Series. They're kind of the the hipster pick to, to win the AL East. Like the betting favorite is still the Yankees and... Boy, you got to look out for the Rays who are not that far behind the Blue Jays in betting circles. But if you if you want to throw out a, a non-chalk pick to win not just the AL East, but the American League, it is the Blue Jays. They will have Alec Manoa on the hill tomorrow. And you know what? After the game, it's, it's done in like an hour and 45 minutes. At 6 o'clock, you can uh, watch the 6 o'clock edition of MLB Tonight on MLB Network with our next guest, Adnan Verk alongside Harold Reynolds. How's it going, Adnan? Ben, great to be with you as always, man. I can't wait for opening day. We're literally hours away, and tomorrow I've got the show. Yeah, from noon to one, we're, we're leading into the Yankees game, and then we'll be doing post-game, Yankees-Giants. So it's supposed to be 4 to 5 Eastern tomorrow, but I'm with you. It's probably going to be like 3.40 until 5, and then we'll be at our, our regular show in time starting Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern. So me and Harold, man, ready to dominate. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. And and, and Harold, yeah, he, he got a, a few slings and arrows uh, back in 2015 when he was doing the the, the color for uh, some of those postseason games. What did he say? Like, Canadians don't learn how to play catch? That, that was the thing that he had to explain himself for? Well, I, re- I remember, like, being at ESPN at the time and tweeting, you know, ridiculing him. And I've never brought it up to him. But, yeah, I, I, I think – I'm trying to remember the exact thing. I mean, you're right. He was definitely doing color with, yeah. I want to say, Verducci and Joe Buck. Yes. And I think what happened is there was a ball hit to the stands, maybe, and, like someone yes. could catch it. He was like, oh, That's it. you know, Canadians don't play baseball. Girl. They don't know how to catch a ball. Yeah. So we have to bring that up at some point. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, you, did, you did grievously offend me. And I, I sent out a tweet which got like 10,000 <laughs> likes from every Canadian who ever followed me. But uh, we'll let let Sleeping Dogs lie from eight years ago. No, I think, honestly, I think he did a a media tour after that to, 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 yeah, try and keep the the frothing at the mouth Canadians uh, at bay. So I I think he's already made good on that. But, yeah, no, man, uh, he's he's a a good dude, and I I can't wait to to be watching that show uh, routinely leading into Major League Baseball, which is tomorrow. And I know, listen, you're Rob Manfred, his signature is at the bottom of your checks. I get that. But, like, it really does feel like... You know, with with all the WBC excitement, with all the new rules, the, the the spring training games being down almost 30 minutes in time per game, and and Major League Baseball doing a, a great viral marketing campaign job of getting a bunch of celebs to to front some of these Twitter ads about the new rules and the excitement for the game, it feels like baseball might be prime for a moment here, Adnan. 
I agree with you, Ben. Listen, you and I are diehards. We're seam heads. We're baseball lifers. No matter what, we're going to be in the game. But I think that really you can feel the, the movement right now, the popularity of the game. Look back from a year ago. I said Aaron Judge, 60 home runs, broke Maris's record. You know, Pujols, the 700 home runs, a captivating playoff run marked by a World Series champion in the Houston Astros, which was a dominant team. To this year, World Baseball Classic was tremendous. Even those fans who were casual fans would have to admit, hey, a one-run game between USA Japan, Trout Otani, that the screenwriter couldn't come up with that. And you look at this year right now, and you've got a variety of teams that are in the mix. You've got your big market teams, of course, and as you mentioned, the Yankees and the Mets, but also the mid-market teams, so to speak, with our Blue Jays. And you've also got the Padres, who for years have just been a team that's known for having beautiful weather and potentially, I mean, basically also ran in that division. And now they look loaded. They could be the beast of the West. I mean, it's crazy that I was looking at as for you, it's some of these betting numbers. And I'm like, the Padres, I, I never thought I'd see the Padres as the favorite to just throw in the Dodgers of, after what's been a, a decade-long run by the Dodgers in the West. So I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be a really fun season. It goes back to the stars of the game. Just expect more big years from Judge, Otani, Trout, good rookie crop, and again, what should be some really good contenders across the board. Yeah, you just outlaid a, a couple of them, but what is the, the number one storyline that you're most interested headed into uh, this this Major League Baseball season, which starts tomorrow? Yeah, it's the rule changes for me. I mean, I looked at the numbers and I said, okay, this clock, what it did for spring training games was, was cut down the length of the game by 25 minutes. So last year's Major League Baseball game average for a nine-inning game was three hours and three minutes. So if you're telling me we're looking at 238 this year, I'm like that, that's amazing to me. Like I, I think how many times you and I watch a hockey game, all right? 707 puck drop, and by 930 it's done. Same thing for an NBA game. If you're telling me by 940 the Blue Jays game is going to be over, like that, that's a game changer. It just it really is to me. And I'm like, that's just going to allow so many more fans to say, you know what? Not only is the game going to be done at a more reasonable time, but the actual game is just a better pace. It's going to be more exciting. And there's no reason, by the way, that this shouldn't continue. Like in the minor leagues, you cut 25 minutes off the game. So for spring training, that's in the number. So, I mean, there's just no way tomorrow we're going to see four-hour baseball games. Like that, that's gone now. It's a relic of the past. So, now yeah, that's part and parcel. The major issue is that as long as the action itself is still good. If you're watching a two-and-a-half-hour game and it's still a bunch of strikeouts and walks and home runs, that's still not the best brand of baseball. It's going to be the most entertaining for the fans. So I think it, it deals with the larger issue, which is, hey, just make the game quicker. Now let's make the game better. Mm-hmm. But by making the game quicker, the game will hopefully be better. Right now, let's hope there's going to be some more stolen bases. Let's hope batting averages go up. Let's hope that outlawing the shift will actually make the game more aesthetically pleasing. And to your point about baseball doing a good job of the marketing, I just saw the promo that Brian Cranston did. I think it's mm. on MLB.com. I think Fox is running it. Yep. It's great. Like a lifelong Dodgers fan, he's like, all right, get that shift out of here. Like I think, you know, <laughs> for the average fan, again, in the winter, they're watching the NBA, they're watching the hockey, they're watching March Madness, NFL free agency. When you watch the game tomorrow, it is going to be a brand new game. You're going to be checking the clock. We're going to get pitch clock violations. It's really, I think, cool as a baseball fan to see something so radically different. I, I'm like... I'm on edge, though, because it all seems so good, and everybody is so just overwhelmingly positive about the, the rule changes, and I've seen them, and I'm like, I, I mean, I'd be trolling to try and come up with a reason not to like them, but, you know, this is not the first sport to go through a pretty drastic change. We saw National Hockey League, remember, like, when the referees would throw up, like, the little O symbol for obstruction, you know, penalties, and there was an uptick, in, and, you know, they, they've tried to change the game numerous numerous times and changed it back and then the foot in the crease stuff and i am i'm focused on hockey here but yeah basketball's 
made rule changes in the, in the past as well and then gone back. Like, is, it, is there any, like, part of your brain that's like, man, this is, it's all been so good and there's really, like, no dissenting opinion. Are we sure it's just going to go off without a hitch? Yeah, I go back, this was at least 10 years ago when I first started hearing about a pitch clock. And they said, you know, obviously, Christian Manfred hasn't been around that long, but once he took power, it was like, no, the clock is important. And every player that I worked with, Ben, said it'll never happen. And I said, why not? They go, the players will just never agree to it. I said, pitchers or hitters, they get neither. Like, the hitters are like, nope, I'm not going to get rushed. And the pitchers are going to say, I'm not going to get rushed. So I still go back, and, like, I wish I could go back and talk to those people. I think it was, like, Mark Mulder and Alex Cora and Aaron Boone and David Ross, where I was sitting in the, in the, in the ESPN bullpen with them, like, hey, so what happened? Like, what changed? Like, why was this so easy? Like, we know how painful it's been in terms of the collective bargaining agreement and the major issues regarding to finance. Like, why was it such an easy issue? Because I just remember thinking, talking to players, it's not going to be easy. So I, I'm just grateful that for some reason, when they said, hey, how about a pitch clock? Everyone was like, yeah, sure. Like, like so many of the players had dealt with it in the minors. was an issue to them. You would have thought there'd be all these dinosaurs saying, no, no, no. Baseball's the only sport without a clock. No, that's what makes the game special. Instead, everyone's like, yeah, you know what? Let's speed this thing up. It is too boring. It mm-hmm. is too slow. I, and, and like you said, there's not one dissenting opinion. The only thing I would push back when we had our man Theo Epstein at MLB Network was the whole issue about stolen bases. And he mm-hmm. said the bigger stolen bases will help that. And I'm just, I just keep thinking, Ben, as you know, these analytics departments are so risk-averse. Yeah. They look at this as 27 outs. You can't go run and try to have a straight steal at second base in a scoreless game in the third inning. The numbers don't bear that out. So I hope I'm wrong, and Theo tells me I am. He's like, nope, the bigger bases and the fact the pitcher can only throw over once and step off once will allow more base running in the game. Again, I looked at the spring training numbers. The numbers were up, but as somebody correctly pointed out, a lot of those guys aren't making the major league team. No. So, of course, if you're a rookie in spring training, of course you're trying to steal second base. Of course you're you know, trying to steal third and get an extra base. So I'm, I'm skeptical on that one. Of all the rule changes, I love them all. Shift, pitch clock for sure. Stolen bases, I just can't see us having, like, Jazz Chimman turning into Vince Coleman overnight. Yeah, no, I, I, stolen base attempts were up 40%, I think, in, in spring training, which is outrageous. And I, I think you've even seen managers go on record. I think John Schneider, in, in fact, has said, hey, spring training is about trying stuff out, right, and, and, and being aggressive and, and seeing how aggressive you can be because the games don't matter. And I don't expect teams to be attempting 40% more stolen bases during the regular season. But will, I, will we see an uptick? Yeah, I, th- I think naturally. You know, h- how about this? D. Gordon in 2017 was the last 60-base stealer. Uh, John Birdie, former uh, Blue Jays farmhand for the most part, uh, led uh, the majors last year at 40-some-odd stolen bases. Do we see a 60-stolen base man this year? Yeah, that'd be nice, right? Chisholm's a guy I think of immediately because he's got great speed. I think it's someone like Bobby Witt who's super fast for the Royals, maybe Trey, I don't, I don't think Trey Turner is going to steal 60 bags, but he's a guy who has got stolen basic potential. But think of what you just said, John. Like In the past, yeah. you know, I would know who led the league in stolen bases. Yep. There's, you could have paid me $1,000. I never would have said John Birdie. Like, there's nope. no way I would have got that right. And I just <laughs> wish we went back to remembering that stolen bases were important. We've already gone from the batting average champion to not being a special. I get that. On-base percentage is a better measure of a hitter, of course. And OPS goes even further on-base plus slugging. So I, I get that. But it's still kind of cool to still say Luis Arise is the batting champion. But I, I get it. It's not as cool as you once thought as important. But a stolen base leader, you should at least know who the top stolen base threats in the game are. You wouldn't even know that now. Maybe even on your own team you wouldn't even say, who is the guy most likely to swipe 30 bags? 
Yeah, no, it was like, yeah, Scott Pesednik, Jose Reyes, those guys would go like real early in fantasy drafts too, right? Because that was that was a big deal. Stolen bases. Yeah. And uh no, it's just it's become less a, and and less a thing. And you know what? I, I'm I still I respect batting average, okay? And and batting average still tells us something. I do wonder though, with I mean the shift uh, upping batting average on balls in play so significantly during spring training and everything I've read from really smart people who know and have like run through the data that, that like individual performances in spring training you, that doesn't mean anything come regular season but like overall league wide trends like batting average on balls in pr- in play actually does apply to what we're expecting to see this season it was like a massive uptick as naturally uh, especially for for left-handed hitters who pull the ball to the right side, but also right-handed hitters to the left side. I wonder, I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, it would be the holy grail to get two-and-a-half-hour games and also, you know, a a higher impetus on balls in play. But that could be another aspect of what we see this season, Adnan. Yeah, nothing was more painful to me, Ben, than a year or two ago when somebody was hitting 240, and I was just bemoaning the fact, whoever the player was, and someone said to me, well, it's still above average. And I said, what? And they said the league-wide batting average, this was like middle of May, was 237 in the National League. I go, see, that's, I can't live in a world as a baseball fan when 240 is above average. Now, I got it. April, the batting averages are traditionally lower, a lot of rainouts, cold weather. I understand that. But come on. Like, I, I want to get back to the day that 250 is an average hitter. You know, I'd love to see a batting champion at 360, uh, again, rather than a 313 or 318, whatever Luis Arise was. And you're right. The Babbitt did go up, which is a good sign. You know, again, all the analytics numbers, no batting average, balls in play is a great indicator of, of where a hitter is rather than what he actually is. So I, I got to think it's a positive thing. We Again, we shifted away from people saying, well, you know, what's wrong with the shift? It's just smart. It's intelligent. And, you know, why can't hitters hit through? Well, they just can't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, eventually, you just accept it. Joey Gallo is not going to lay a bunt down the third baseline. He's mm-hmm. not going to be able to hit the ball that way. Now, lots of reasons for it, as you and I know. Hey, they're pitching me a certain way. You can't just expect to hit the ball certain whatever. Or just hitters, you know, learn practice, right? You can't just adjust all of a sudden at the major league level. So they're like, let's just get rid of it. And again, as you point out to other sports, they've also undergone changes. You know, basketball used to have a legal defense. Yep. You know, three in the key, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like baseball should be uh, criticized for adjusting. It was like, no, the shift was really smart and worked out for a lot of teams. But eventually, it became too prevalent and resulted in a game which isn't as much fun to watch. So we're getting rid of it. Simple as that. Yep. Uh, everything uh, going right for baseball, including the weather. So I-, I was looking at the forecast for St. Louis. Tomorrow looks fine. Friday, bad. But that's the off day. It was the built-in off day with the potential of a rainout on, on Thursday. Instead, it- it's like 90% chance of rain in St. Louis on Friday. And then the weekend looks beautiful. So I, I don't know how they- they've-, they've managed to do it. But Major League Baseball apparently uh, also in charge of the weather. Uh, we're going to see Alec Manoa on the hill making his first ever opening day start for the Blue Jays tomorrow. Maybe this is semantics, maybe not, but uh, Blue Jays fans know what it, it's like to have an ace, right? Roy Halladay, seven opening day starts for this franchise. That guy was an ace. Every fifth day, you knew you needed two, maybe one run to beat the other team on that given day. Is Alec Manoa an ace yet? Like, is that just one of the things you know when you see it? I mean, he's he's improved year over year and was a, a Cy Young Award candidate last year. Like, when when can we call Alec Manoa an ace? Yeah, I think it's now. And once the, once he was top three in the Cy Young voting last year, to me, really was a breakout season. I wish he'd been a little bit better than that game one playoff start, victimized by a few home runs. But there's no question what Manoa brings to the table is a big, hulking, physical specimen who's got great stuff. He's a dogged competitor. 
He's a puppy dog off of it, right? Everyone says what a great guy he is, except on the field, he like led the league and hit batsmen. So it's just ironic sometimes the way a guy's disposition is and the way he actually is. But there's no denying he's an ace. I think at this point it's crystal clear. If you look at the top ten pitchers in the game, Manoa is in that mix. And, you know, think about where he is on that team. Like the fact for the Blue Jays to say, you know, we've got guys. You know, we just paid Chris Bassett how much money. We've got Kevin Gosman, but – Manoa's the one we believe in. For God's sake, Barrios to give $130 million to the extension, which I believe was a smart move at the time, and he's just your number four starter right now. Mm-hmm. So, again, the Jays certainly have options when it comes to premier starting pitching. They believe that Manoa is the guy. And, again, I think last year people realized how good he is, how talented he is. His work ethic speaks for itself. And, and I'm with you on opening his starts. Like, I think it's special to be able to say, no, I'm, I'm the best that my team has to offer. You mentioned Doc. Remember Pat Hankin back in the day, obviously yep. Dave Steve, how many times he started opening day. Like it's it's something that I I think absolutely to each of the players it's important. And just a quick thought on the weather. You're right. Tomorrow I was looking here in Jersey, it's a high of plus eight. I said, Come on. Mm. Like that that's the one thing that I get annoyed by. When I see March baseball, I go, Yeah, I just wish we could wait till April. But I get it. Like there's so many certain games you're trying to squeeze everything in. There's nothing more frustrating than finally getting to opening day and either the game is rained out or it's particularly cold and everyone's miserable the whole time complaining about the weather. But you're right. Next week, the weather should be a lot better. So let's just get through the weekend and get to April. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, the Blue Jays make a, an early trip to California next week. So uh, yeah, it should be a little bit uh, warmer for for those games. I, I was looking around to see if you were on record with any of your predictions. I, I couldn't find them, but I, I imagine you had to make them. And if not, you, you can make them now. Um, American League East. So, so the Yankees are the betting favorites. I mean, if you go by just about every you know predictive metric, it's like it's the Rays and the Blue Jays kind of nipping at each other's heels for, for second place in the division. How do you predict that this division shakes out? I appreciate you actually caring enough to look. I'm going to do my predictions tomorrow with Harold at noon Eastern MLB tonight, but I'm going to pick the Yankees to win, as you said, and I'll have the Jays as a wild card. Somebody asked you the other day, though, what's the odds the Jays get win 100 games? And I said, that feels a little lofty to me. If I had to put a number on it, I'd say 93-94. I said, but if they win 100 games, then a lot has to go right for them. That means that Barrios has a comeback season. The rest of the starters are great. The bullpen is fortified behind Romano, and the offense doesn't miss the absence of, of Teoscar Hernandez. That. You know, maybe a guy like a Kevin Biggio finally has a breakout. Or it's just a matter of Chapman's going to hit his 30 bombs. Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette are going to do what they do. And the other guy's going to step up. And, and obviously with catching, there's a strength with Alejandro Kirk. So 100 games to me feels like a lot. But I'll go Jays solidly solidified as a wild card team. But you're right to mention Tampa off the top. I mean, God, every year we discount them. They're going to go up there and win 95 games. But I'll go Yankees first. Jay's second, Ray's third. Wow. I appreciate you not pandering, too, right? Because I, I would have verified uh, if you would pick the Blue Jays to win the division on this program and then tomorrow <laughs> flip-flop. That's that's no good. So I appreciate you uh, staying to your yeah. word. Um, so as, as far as individual players on the on this Blue Jays team, you're right. Like, things have to go right for them to win 100 games. It's it's within the realm of possibility. Who's like who, Which individual player on this Blue Jays team is under the most pressure to perform, do you think, this upcoming season? I think George Springer, and they gave him a big contract for a big reason. They thought Springer would be their center fielder for the next six years. They obviously had to overpay to get him because the Mets were obviously interested in Steve Cohen, and Springer became the guy. And so far, if you look at this Toronto tenure, there's been certainly been moments of brilliance and productivity, but he's been hurt. And now he's not going to be the center fielder in all likelihood. Kevin Kiermaier's been the guy. Maybe John Schneider mixes the matches once in a while, but you feel like Springer's going to be a corner outfield guy. Does that lead to greater health for him? I'm not sure, but they were expecting when they signed this guy 130, 135, 140 games, and that hasn't been the case so far. 
So to me, when I look at their team, I go, yeah, Vlad and Bo are great. We know that. But I want to see George Springer get back to being George Springer again. If he can put up numbers like 280, 27 home runs, drive in 90, you know, 350 on base, a 480 slug, like that, that's more of what we need from George Springer. And I think that would go a big way towards, again, not feeling the absence of Teoscar Hernandez. Like, this yeah. guy hit 27 home runs a year ago. He is going to really fortify that Mariners lineup. I'm looking for Springer to have, like, a big-time George Springer-type season. Because we've seen Ben, when he's been hurt and then comes back, Boom, top of the lineup, immediate impact, dividends, home runs, diving catches. Like, there's no denying how great Springer is. I'd love to see him put together a strong year. And really, when it comes to that, it's a durability. Stay healthy, George. Um, what a time to be alive. we got opening day tomorrow, uh, baseball season well underway. And then we wrap up these first series of the season with episode two of the final season of Succession. We're one episode in with your boy, Jeremy Strong. How are you feeling after one episode? Why, we had uh, James Andrew Miller this week on Cinephile. Of course, Jim is the author of the HBO book, Tinderbox, wrote the books on ESPN, SNL. He did literally, Ben, an episode-by-episode breakdown of succession. He ranked all 29 episodes prior to last episode. So it was great. In case you're curious, his top three were all the finales. I think his his best episode of succession was season one, the finale. Then the season two finale was second. (laughs) Season three, finale third. So he and I both agree, as I'm sure you do, this is a show that always reaches its crescendo. So the fact it's in its final season, you know it's only going to get better. I thought the first episode was pretty strong. There's obviously dialogue that I can't repeat on the air, but the, the, the line that Brian Cox used to refer to the reporter in the final scene of the first episode of season four, I'm like, that's just an example of how sharp-witted these guys are. And Kieran Culkin, again, is always stealing every scene and the fact that you know the family of the kids don't still want to talk to Logan. But I thought... Pretty strong start from my man, Jeremy Strong and company, and I can't wait to see episode two. And Barry, which I'm not sure is a show you love, but that show's coming back in three weeks as well. So HBO, pretty strong high here, Succession HBO. No, I, I, I've been meaning to check out Barry. It's not that I don't like it. I've never even seen one second of it. But, yeah, it's one of those shows. I can go back. I can binge it. I can, I can knock it out of the park, I, you know, one of these days when, you know, maybe I'm serving time at, like, a minimum security uh, prison or something, you know, like <laughs> spend a week. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that. I'm just some- I was going to say something like jury duty, like on your downtime, you watch a couple episodes of Barry, but perhaps prison as well. Yeah, I was was probably a little too dark uh, for uh, for this conversation. All right, uh, Adnan, uh, great chat as always, bud. Uh, Enjoy the new show. Enjoy opening day tomorrow. Thanks so much, pal. Play ball. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Adnan Verk, host of the 6 o'clock edition of MLB Tonight on MLB Network with Harold Reynolds, of course, also a host on NHL Network and hosts the Cinephile podcast. So, yeah, you know, Adnan brings up a great point about the loss of Teoscar Hernandez. And if, if you do go by whatever fan graphs, projection, prediction, the Blue Jays are predicted to have more wins this season than they were predicted to uh, have a season ago. They were only predicted to win 88 games last season. Of course, 192 this year. They're predicted to win 89 games, same as the Tampa Bay Rays. So that's better. It's not significantly better. That was a pretty great offense that we saw a season ago. And they lost a big part of it. Teoscar Hernandez, who at last we saw him, was hitting two home runs in a postseason game that, yeah, eventually was blown by the Blue Jays. But if the Blue Jays are going to reach their highest highs, win 100 games, or if it doesn't take that, whatever it takes to beat the Yankees and win a division crown, it's going to take something unquantifiable, something that... We heard out of Ross Atkins in that clip that we played off the top of the show, something that I keep asking people who have been down in Dunedin to quantify, to tell me what it means, 
something that this team clearly feels was missing at times clearly cost them a couple of games last year. And whether that's, I mean, they can call it attention to def, uh, to details. They've obviously identified defense as being a big part of that and just professionalism. It's a big season for professionalism and the Homer jacket. Now, whether it's true or not, if the Blue Jays do exceed expectations, win 100 games, they win the division, and Vlad has a great season and Bo has a great season, rightly or wrongly, everyone's going to point to, well, two things. One is the managerial change, which clearly, when it happened last year, had, I mean, just a demonstrable effect on the wins and losses for this team. But yeah, the professionalism, which is probably tied to the manager as well, and the lack of homer jacket. So it's a, it's a big year for things that you can't quantify. Apparently, you can quantify who the most attractive NHL free agent will be this offseason. And uh, according to Frank Saravelli, it's a Toronto Maple Leaf player. We'll talk to the president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com as the uh, Leafs get set to host the Panthers tonight. It's the fan drive time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Uh, Maple Leafs, back home, they are hosting the very desperate Florida Panthers who have lost four straight. I mean, it was right there for the taking to jump into the uh, playoff picture in the Eastern Conference, except they've uh, stubbed their toe pretty severely. It is opening day in Major League Baseball tomorrow uh, as the Blue Jays erase the memories of a pretty boring Spring training, it wasn't boring for the Phillies, but that's not good because Reese Hoskins is, like, out for the season after tearing up his knee. Now, like, Trey Turner looks amazing, and Bryce Harper will be back at, at some point. But, like, also there was that the prospect Andrew Painter who had an elbow injury. Frank Saravelli, noted uh, Phillies fan, president of uh, hockey content for DailyFaceoff.com, joins me. Um, yeah, it was, I, I would say, a, di- a, a disappointing, depressing kind of spring training for Phillies fans. Am I... Am I Speaking out of school here? Yeah, I think you are, actually. I mean, did you see Trey Turner at the World Baseball No, he was great. Come on. No, he was really great. you see that lineup? Like, I was actually offended today looking at the preseason rankings from The Athletic. They ranked all 30 teams. And the reason I bring this up is the Phillies were seven Mm. and the Blue Jays were eight. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. I was also just looking at the... uh, Fangraphs odds to win the World Series. The Blue Jays are seven percent, and the Phillies are two. So mm, two, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, some food for thought. Uh, yeah, no, hey, listen, it's probably because I... the Braves are two, <laughs> yeah, and the Mets are yeah six, no, and the I Phillies know. are seven. That that's problematic. Here's the other thing: I was, I was, I heard people talking about, and I was like, oh, that's interesting for baseball with their change schedule. Is now that you're facing all thirty teams in each season that it's actually going to help the teams that are playing in really tough divisions. Yeah, which both the Phillies and the Blue Jays do. No, 100%. Listen, do I see a world in which, you know what, 
Uh, the Phillies and Blue Jays are meeting in October in in a uh, fall classic. I certainly do. Nineteen ninety three. Frank yeah. gets his heart broken again, <laughs> crying like a baby. Oh, I was a baby, but like that's actually one of my first ever memories as a kid is like being heartbroken and gutted by Joe Carter. Yeah, no, it was a kind of a different feeling in these parts. Uh, I got to tell you. Um, and you, you won a World Series. How old were you, Ben, in 1993? I was nine years old. I was like, so 92, 93, is, those were my formative sports years. Like, I was uh, aware of sports. My dad was into sports, and I watched sports. But 92, 93, watching this city, just the excitement surrounding those Blue Jays teams. I mean, that's why I'm sitting here doing this. Like, I, that th- those were what formed me. And uh, yeah, it sounds to me like it also formed your sports fandom. I yeah, in in maybe a, a different way. In a though. classic Negadelphia way. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But again, you guys got to the top of the mountain after that. Um, so the uh, the Maple Leafs are trying to get to the top of the mountain this year, and they, they have a non-zero chance as they have had uh, the better part of the last decade. Just hasn't worked out getting out of the first round. Um, let, let's start with the the little thing that percolated over the last couple of days the the video of, of Sheldon Keefe and Michael Bunting having a little tete-a-tete on on the bench over the weekend and both both gentlemen shutting down any speculation I mean what was your viewpoint uh on on that maybe disagreement uh in the in the heat of battle I yawned yeah and I was like this happens and it's the type of reaction that you have between really healthy environments between player and coach the ones that you don't see are the ones that you should be alarmed about, I think, because that, that just shows that the, t- the coach and player don't have the comfortability to be able to have the conversation in a public space because they know it's what it's going to turn into. And trust me, there's been plenty of those this year behind the scenes that I've heard about that have been some fantastic blowouts. And it's, it's interesting, that, you know, what makes it to public light and what doesn't. Um, I'm not sort of, you know, saying that, you know, to be coy, but what I'll say is the best example I have of these sort of on bench expressions, I think all the time of Nathan McKinnon and Jared Bednar. Yeah. And, you know, to the point where McKinnon's so worked up, he falls backward on the bench <laughs> and and basically looks like he wants to club his coach. Like that's the best, healthiest thing I think you can, you can have. Yeah. Is, competitors that want to win that are in the heat of the battle that are like, yeah, whatever, this is what it takes. Yeah. And, and maybe Michael was, you know, firing back at, at Sheldon. Hey, I'm going to be the top free agent this off season. So you got it. You got <laughs> to respect me. Yes. Leafs. Michael Bunting is the number one free agent available ahead of 2023 off season is the story on dailyfaceoff.com right now. Now I will say that you like the preamble to that was that it's uh, not exactly the, the most spectacular free agent class, but that's, that's quite lofty praise for, for a guy who took uh, a, a deal paying him less than a million bucks to come to Toronto when he first arrived from Arizona. It's, it's a bananas deal yeah. for the Toronto Maple Leafs and what Michael Bunting has been able to accomplish as a group six free agent. Uh, those guys come along once every five years, you get a bunting, you get a, a Jonathan Marsha. So, you know, you strike pay dirt. And that part of that is the opportunity that everyone saw him get in a very limited sample size and produce in Arizona. 
Part of that is the Kyle Dubas connection and the belief factor. Part of that's the opportunity that he's then been given. The point is he's run through that door and knocked it down on his own, you know, with that, a little push, meaning like everything he's accomplished has, you know, been in part to himself. So um, he bet on himself with that deal. I know for a fact that there were other much larger deals out there um, that people were willing to give him an opportunity, one five, one seven five, almost doubling the pay. But getting two years is first ever one way contract. Mm. And so, Ben, I've been ratioed hard today. You have? That tweet has been viewed <laughs> 250,000 times. And the response from fans has been, are you smoking crack? Like <laughs> Michael Bunting as the number one free agent available? What is wrong with you? And my answer is, look at this free agent class. And you tell me which players on that top 50 board that I posted today are going to get more total dollars. Mm. The answer is a couple guys might, maybe, but it's a debate. Like mm. Damon Severson, he could do that. Uh, Dimitri Orlov, Alex Kalorn, JT Comfer, maybe. Patrick Kane coming off of hip surgery this summer? I don't think so. And the market is so limited for Kane as to where he actually wants to go. I just don't I don't see it happening that he's going to get more than bunting. Ryan O'Reilly, maybe. It's all going to depend on his playoffs like so many other things. Yeah. Uh, and well, and when you describe it that way, and there was some tinfoil hat uh conspiracies uh, floating around the city about the way that the bunting was being used was maybe to suppress his value and and allow the Maple Leafs to, to to re-sign him at a discounted rate. It feels like the way you're describing this free agent class, like he's 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 sailing off to to somewhere else, no matter what happens, unless it's another discount. But why would you do that? This this is the time to to cash in, right? This is the only time to cash in. He's 27. Turning 28, you like when are you when else are you gonna get this opportunity to do it? Mm-hmm. It's now or never. I I don't think the door is closed by any stretch of the imagination on on Michael Bunting coming back to the Leafs, but I don't think there's been any substantive negotiation to my knowledge to this point to bring him back. And and you know what? That might have absolutely nothing to do with Michael Bunting or the Leafs cap, and it might have something to do with the fact that Kyle Dubas is in the last year of his deal. Who yeah. like is he negotiating extensions for next season and beyond? Maybe, mm. but maybe not. No, it's it's a it's a great point, and yeah, um, he was obviously allowed to do what he had to do at the uh, trade deadline, and and did a whole lot. Um, so we- the other tinfoil hat thing that I was getting in my feed today was that I'm doing this, I'm making him the number one free agent on my board to pump up his value so that he doesn't come back to the Leafs. As if as if I have this type of power uh, to do that. Oh, that's a good one. See, listen, I, I would have said, hey, you're you're doing something that's Maple Leafsy to to get some page views, which I would listen, I wouldn't fault you for either. Did you hear that one in, in your mentions as well? Uh, well, yeah, all the time. Nice leaf clickbait, and look, I'm I'm all for the clicks. Um, it's how I make a living. Yeah. However, I'm not going to sacrifice process in the analysis that I do on the market, accurately predicting 43 of the top 50 players traded at the deadline. 
to to sell my soul for clicks. I won't do it. That is a, a mic drop. Uh, that's that's a, a good statistic. Uh, Forty three of fifty, Frank. All right. So Maple Leafs have been locked into this this Tampa first round series for forever, seemingly, and now they're seemingly locked into having home ice advantage in a game seven in that series. But you look around the NHL, there's just still like a ton to play for. Like, I mean, even in the Eastern Conference, I, I mentioned the Panthers like stubbing their toes, losing four straight all in regulation too. But they're only three points back of a Penguins team. That is is very gettable. I mean, if you really want to squint hard, that the Sabers are only two points back of the Panthers too, but have an extra game in hand. And the and the West is is pretty nutty. Like, to, despite their best efforts, like the Flames are still right there, only two points back of of the Jets, who are. I mean, they have basically no wins the last two months, and the Predators are still alive. There's, and I mean, if you want to go beyond that, the Pacific Division up for grabs. I'm sure everybody would love to avoid the the Oilers. Feels like we're we're headed for a, a pretty exciting last couple of weeks of this season. Yeah, against all odds. Like if you think about it in reality, the Winnipeg Jets should have put the Flames and Preds out of their misery like two to three weeks ago. And and same thing for the Pens. Like it's hard to determine which team in the eighth spot has been more disappointing pens or jets yeah jets being shut out in three of their last seven uh losing to some really bad teams the panthers they had their chance uh to to burst through that door they couldn't do it uh losing and giving up a six spot to certain teams losing to the flyers the sends it's been a mess it's almost like who no one really wants to wants that eighth spot which is bananas um and then you've got you mentioned the Preds like they're to me the most intriguing team through all of this. They're in a virtual dead heat. It's a virtual tie in points percentage between mm. Jets and Preds. And the Preds one month and 5 days ago made their first trade of the season Nino Niederreiter, Tanner Janot soon followed. They've got like a bajillion guys out of the lineup, Roman Yossi, all these top end players that aren't playing. And yet, I think they're like nine, six, and two since that first trade. Like, what? <laughs> How does that happen again? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if they. I mean, we we did scratch our heads about the the price paid for Tanner Janot, and hey, points wise, he has uh, three assists in in sixteen games so far with the Lightning. Hard to judge though, because it's all about what he does in in the postseason. But uh, yeah, that is that's a bit of a head scratcher. If you're like. I mean, I know this is a sport in which um, it's I, it's the most random, right? Like when 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 you get down to it, it's a it's a it's with a rubber puck on 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 ice, and and you know sometimes the inferior team you know gets a a hot goalie for for seven games and wins a series. I really have a tough time. I know the Hurricanes have kind of struggled recently, but I, I really have a tough time seeing either the Islanders, Penguins, or even if the Panthers get in, any of those teams making any noise in the Eastern conference playoff bracket, but man, maybe less so for the predators, but like this is a flames team that we talked about being a cup contender before the season. If they get in, is is that the team that you look at as potentially being a wild card this postseason that has the best chance to actually go on a run? They wouldn't scare me. I mean, they have the collection of talent, but it has been so poorly executed this year Every chance they've had to go on a run, like I think they have one three-game winning streak this year, or two yeah. three-game winning streaks. That's it. Like they've they've yet to show anything close to the the collection of talent that they have on paper to have that convert. 
Um, it's been consistency issues. It's been confidence issues. It's been goaltending issues at times. Um, and, and through all of it, oddly enough, they've sort of been remarkably healthy for most of the year compared to some of these other teams. Like I was just thinking as you were talking about the Eastern conference playoff picture, like should Lou Lamorello send Brian McClellan a basket of wine? Because like the, the idea that the caps bowed out and sold off all those pieces, like more or less clinch things for the, the Islanders. Yeah. And so if I were to pick a wild card team that I think could win in an upset in the first round, uh, it's not going to be Seattle or Winnipeg or Pittsburgh as currently constituted. It would be the Islanders with their goalie. No, it's a great point. I mean, speaking of goaltenders, the, the Leafs get a Panthers team tonight that has been uh, wildly disappointing, obviously, uh, considering the moves that were made in the offseason and, and 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 no uh, fault of Matthew Kachuk has had a spectacular season, but yeah, you look at Sergei Bobrovsky, who okay, look back to prime form a season ago when he was an All Star and had a nine thirteen save percentage. He's back to to nine oh one, and you know last, last season was the only one of the four that he's spent in Florida where he's had a goal saved above average that is in the positive side of the ledger. Oh, and by the way, he still has three more years and $30 million left on his deal. Like when we look back at, it? yeah, that's, that's all. I mean, is that, is that going to go? I mean, I feel like Rick DiPietro is at the top of the mountain when it comes to, to hor- horrific uh, goaltending contracts. And I know carry Price is up there too, but at least you can get out from it because of uh, the long-term injured reserve, which yeah. Okay. There's a human component that that's not so great, but is, is Sergei Bobrovsky's deal going to be viewed in retrospect as like one of the worst in the history of the sport? It's up there. It's definitely in the top five. It's definitely the worst ever among goalies. Um, and that includes the DiPietro deal. Um, for me, like the scariest part about the Bobrovsky contract is to rewind in time and figure out which team would have actually paid him that type of money to go there. They're, they were bidding against themselves. Hmm. The only other team that was sort of stalking in the Bobrovsky race was the Islanders, and there was zero chance that Lou Lamorello was going to be paying $70 bucks over 10 years for Sergei Bobrovsky. So it was a disastrous contract from the moment Penn went to paper, which, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to line up my timeline, also happened right after, like a week after, they drafted a goalie in Spencer Knight at, I don't know, what was it, 13th overall? 13th overall, he's drafted in 2019. So rewind the time frame. They take a first-round goalie and then sign a goalie to seven years times 10. What? Yeah, it's not great. Uh, and, yeah, you, you have the offseason that, that they have, and uh, you finish on the outside of, of the postseason picture looking in. Um, I guess there's still so, time. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say with Bobrovsky, like that, that's going to is an anchor on their whole offseason now. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you? So they they have a bunch of dead cap money coming off the books. The Cats do. Keith Yandel five point three. Scott Darling that totals six and a half plus. You've got an expiring contract for um, for Patrick Hornquist, so that gets you like almost to twelve. But what do you do with Bobrovsky there at $10 million? Like someone was saying, Hey, can you send Bobrovsky to San Jose in a deal that involves Carlson? And I was like, I guess you could, but why would the San Jose sharks want to do that? Yeah, no, they wouldn't. Um, they might 
want your first round pick. Oh wait, you, you don't have that either. So no, I don't. <laughs> I know I, it's not. It's not great. There, there's still time though. I was speaking of salary cap stuff though. I, I there was this report that Taylor Hall's ready to return for for the Bruins, which is something that we were on high alert for when the Bruins went out and made all those deals at the deadline. The problem, of course, is that they they can't under the salary cap activate him before the postseason. And I'm sure he wants to play ball. Like, yeah, would he do the Kucherov thing? I, probably. Um, I, is anybody looking into this? Because if the guy is ready to go, and God knows if it, if it was the Leafs trying to pull these cap shenanigans, there'd be there'd be people flying in from all corners of the globe to to make sure that the player was still injured. Like, is there going to be some some sort of inquiry as to Taylor Hall's uh, availability? And if he is ready to go, what on earth do the Bruins do? So the the league certainly is is on high alert and monitoring all of these situations and have made it abundantly clear, especially in a memo to teams before the trade deadline, that they would be monitoring all injuries heading into the playoffs as to their status and relation to LTIR and space. Um, that said, so much of this is going to come down to Taylor Hall, and that report probably didn't help in that, he only needs to say he can't go in order for that to go away. Um, and, I, and I will say having learned and knowing a little bit about the injury that Taylor Hall sustained to his knee, there was lots of speculation behind the scenes at the time, you know, just a few weeks ago, days before the trade deadline, that he had torn his ACL and mm. was done for the year. So there was significant concern about the Hall injury And then he got not just one, but I think two different opinions that said, whatever happened in your knee and, and look, people say, how could, you know, what, how could you possibly say something like that? Any sort of knee sprain is technically a tear. It's just, are these micro tears? Like what are we dealing with and how significant is it? How much will it impact you? The, the answer that the hall camp got, I believe was that, Playing on it will not injure it further. Does that mean he needs something in the offseason? I don't know. But if he's getting closer and feels good, but now doesn't have the the runway to activate him, then that's just that's just a fact of life. It's how it's you know, it's business in the NHL. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, it it, it feels very much like like the Kucherov thing and well, and especially when no, yeah. it's not even close to that. All right, okay. Come I, on. So Kucherov, like let's just let's let's play this out for one second because okay. I'm sure we're running out of time. Kucherov waited 3 months to have surgery after the season ended, knowing that it would be a shortened season. Hmm. The season ended that year in October. He waited until Christmas to have surgery. That's the issue. It's not that he sat out the entire year. It's that he waited three months on the front end of it, knowing that it would only be a six-month season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what I'm sure could have played in regular season games had the Lightning 100%. been capable of adding him to the roster. Not unlike, I'm sure, Taylor Hall. Like, Is he going to be more healthy the uh, between now and, and the start of the postseason? Maybe a little bit. And. Yeah, I guess there's plausible deniability here when you're talking about a strain, and you're you're right. Like, yeah, if if somebody was to take some sort of scan of the knee, they would see that there's a little tear there. And again, I guess you have to rely on on the player telling you honestly um, whether he's good to go. That's the wink, wink. Are you going to be a good boy and 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 not give us a problem that teams always are having this conversation about behind the scenes? All right. Well, 
I uh, can't wait to put the asterisk next to the, the Bruins name uh, when they go uh, into the record books as Stanley Cup champions. Uh, I'll be doing that. They, they could, like, Taylor Hall could not play again, and their team would still be good enough to compete. So yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. Uh, Frank, uh, always a pleasure. Talk next week, man. Have a good one, Ben. Yeah, you too. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Bruins are good. Bruins got better at the deadline. Bruins added Tyler Bertuzzi. People scratched their heads, wondered about this very possibility. And and granted, it's they didn't make up an injury. Taylor Hall suffered one and maybe one that will require surgery. At the time, I remember people talking about him potentially needing surgery on the knee. He's going to play through it. And guess what? President's Trophy champs are going to add a former Hart Trophy winner to the roster that they didn't know they were going to have. And not unlike the Lightning. In that way, there is a comparable. All right. Blue Jays are mere hours away from starting their regular season tomorrow in St. Louis. This is a team coming off a 92-win postseason season. We'll talk to Shai Davidi, who's in Missouri. Getting ready for baseball tomorrow next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.